Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. Arnoush Amiri is a reporter covering the Ohio State House for the Associated Press as part of the Report for America program. She's one of three guests that we've had from Report for America. Farnoosh was born in Iran, is vice president of the South Asian Journalists Association, and is deputy director for the Asian American Journalists Association student program, which is called Voices. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So you have worked across the country. Your work has been featured in a lot of notable places. Can you tell us about your path both to the United States and your path in journalism? Sure. Um, don't have too much memory of my path to the U.S. because I was five years old. Um, but I think pretty similarly for a lot of folks who came before the 9-11 era, it was you know pretty easy to not easy, but it was it was a lot easier um, to immigrate to the U.S., especially from countries like Iran. So I was really lucky. I had citizenship because my dad was a citizen. Um, so I, our experience was um, much more fortunate and privileged than a lot of folks um, who are coming into the country now. So that was kind of what that looked like. I originally moved to Southern California, um, more specifically um, Torrance, Redondo Beach area for anyone who knows where that is. And then um, I grew up in Orange County. And yeah, and as far as my journalism career, I moved to San Francisco for college when I was 19 and, um, you know, had, that was the only school actually in the state who had, that had a journalism program. None of the UCs had like a journalism major. And so I really wanted to, um, pursue that and initially wanted to do, you know, magazine journalism and entertainment and all of that. And, um, and, you know, I think, And I graduated and still wanted to do magazine journalism, still wanted to do entertainment. And then the election, the 2016 election happened and I felt a shift. I think a lot of people, um, you know, regardless of political party or or anything, um, it was it's a kind of a before and after type of uh, moment for you. And I think for me, it made me, you know, really pay attention to what kind of journalism is needed, how can I have the most impact. And um, because of that, I applied to grad school at New York University and for journalism. And through that program, I got really great internships at NBC News and I got to travel to Puerto Rico. I got to go to DC and you know do some stories about gentrification there and just kind of went from there. And then I got my job at AP um, more than two years ago. So that's kind of how I got to where I am. How did your upbringing influence your journalistic interests? I wish I had like a more original story, but like, I think like many people who come from countries where there is no freedom of the press, um, it was really important for me to take advantage of this opportunity that I had to, you know, work and live in a country where there are checks and balances, where there is a fourth estate. And I felt you know, I've, I've seen actively what it's like when there is no press, when government is not held accountable and there's no accountability reporting. And I really wanted to be that in the U.S. And I think the other 
thing is, is I'm very nosy and it's, it's a very <laughs> job where you get to be paid to be nosy. And I am extremely curious and, and, and easily can talk to strangers. I'm not very shy at all. Um, so I think all of those things really helped push me towards this career. Okay. Now I went through uh, a number of things that you wrote and uh, one of the places that you basically started, you mentioned the magazine reporting and the entertainment reporting. You started at the Hollywood Reporter, uh, where I noticed that in particular, you specialized in writing summaries of, of events. I'm curious what you learned from that experience that may have set you up for your future. Yeah, I, I really do think <laughs> um you know, similarly to probably folks who have, you know, worked for page six in New York or, you know, any sort of fast paced news environment. I, I think working a red carpet and working a show and, you know, award shows, I really do think it, it, it oddly prepared me for, you know, covering politicians in the same way that, I mean, it, it, you don't exactly ask them what you're wearing or about <laughs> their most recent, you know, divorce, um, even though actually, you know, some journalists do ask politicians that and it, and it is relevant, um, but it, it really helps you stay on your toes because it's entertainment journalism is so competitive and it and it's and you know you're you're on a red carpet with like every single news outlet and everyone wants to talk to the same person and ask the same question and get the great same soundbite and and a lot of political journalism is exactly like that and interestingly enough one of my like big first stories at the Hollywood Reporter was when I was an intern and I was covering this was um I believe this was 2016 yeah I was covering a human rights campaign of like fundraiser um, charity event. And um, Lee Daniels, who's, you know, the director of Empire at the time, and, you know, obviously a well-renowned producer, he spoke about Donald Trump and kind of gave this warning. And this was before anyone took, um, you know, him as a presidential candidate very seriously, which is part of the reason why, you know, the media in general failed in that way, but no one was really taken seriously. And Lee Daniels came out and really just went in on, you know, what he saw was the danger that, that Trump posed as, as a serious candidate. And that was, and I broke, you know, I was, a, we were the first news outlet to get that out. I was writing it in an email to my editor at the time. And it was, you know, everyone cited our work. So that was it, interestingly enough, um, unwantingly of my own interests, my, you know, politics and entertainment collided in a, in a major way in 2016. So it was hard to ignore that that would be a part of this reporting. But then I realized I'm much more fascinated with the political aspect than I am with, you know, entertainers saying political things. I think it's it's still fascinating, though, that, that you were able to take something from that job and make something pretty good of it and and turn out the work that you did there. All right, so let's move to the AP and move to uh, Columbus, Ohio, where, you're, where you are. Uh, in terms of a week's work for you, I'm looking at recent weeks. I saw you covered a bribery scheme by an energy company. You covered a new police chief in Columbus. You covered the state governor awaiting FDA approval of the coronavirus vaccines. Your beat for Report for America is listed as Ohio legislature, especially as relates to abortion, gun control, and the opioid settlements. So that's a lot. Can you walk yeah. us through? Can you walk us through what a week is uh, like for you? So I think if <laughs> I think most reporters, you know, general assignment, political reporters, if you would have 
asked them this question in February of 2020, they could have given you, you know, a really nice outline of Mondays. I like to come in and do this. And, you know, I'd love to be able to catch up with a source on Thursdays, but the pandemic and, you know, the election and then the January 6th riots and then police brutality protests. I mean, I mean, it's just been a collision of events and it and it's nonstop. And a lot of those events continuing, um, you know, the ramifications now. So for me, like you said, that that list that you named that was supposed to be my beat was a really nice thought. Newberry um, <laughs> did not get to cover a lot of those things, but or and I, or I covered those and a hundred um, in addition to that. So it, it, there is no regular week. I like to, you know, one thing that I do like to do that's pretty routine is mix um, spot news coverage, breaking news coverage with long-term projects, and kind of really staying nimble with those two skills because it can get. If you if you're a breaking news reporter for too long, it'll be really hard for you to spend some time with a story. And if you are a enterprise, you know, investigative reporter for too long, it'll be hard to pick back up those breaking news skills. So I try to maintain both of those things because they give you know, they have they serve different purposes. Also, I have to like AP is is, you know, is both of those things and they require that of us. But I think um, having those skills really keeps me on my toes and, and helps me in, in most um, new situations, whether it's long-term or breaking. What's your writing process when you're working on a long-term project? Oh God, I wish I, I, mean, <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't have a good one. I, I was telling someone the other day, like I tend to over-report like too much. And then I get overwhelmed with the amount of like, you know, I'm excited. And so I have all these great quotes and this great data and all this stuff. And then like the idea of putting that all together becomes extremely overwhelming. And, um, but one thing that I've tried to strive to do recently is just to start writing immediately, even if it's bad, or even if it's, it's not going to look anywhere near that, that has really helped because it's just like, I, I swear once I get the lead or like the first three paragraphs, like that weight of like, you know, importance of like, I, I need to start doing this work is lifted and I can just like write and then fix and edit and write and edit. And that's, I, I think that would be a universal thing for, I mm-hmm. certainly know that I go through that. Um, the piece that you highlight most prominently on your personal website is one that you did for NPR for the show Code Switch in 2020. It's titled The Day That Never Happened. It's a vivid description of a Sunday in June 2005 when armed federal agents came to your house, handcuffed your father, searched the home. It's about how that day changed you and your family. Your family stopped speaking Farsi in public. Your brother went by the Americanized name Rob afterwards. You changed your hair. You changed what you had for lunch at school. A total code code switch, essentially what, what that show is largely about. And it's about how you and your family never talked about the incident. And the article had a very powerful ending. What was it like to put this story on paper? And what was the impact of your writing it? I think just in the first few months of this year, went back to back three to four funerals um, of, you know, victims of police brutality. And I've sat with mothers that have been grieving. I've, you know, I've covered hurricanes. I've seen people's lives. Um, be demolished in front of them and all of those things I've been able to do because I have this, you know, while I have this empathy and I am respectful of what these people are going through and that they're allowing me into their lives. I'm also, you know, a a layer separated from it. This isn't my life. This is my job. 
I'm my job is to come and report and tell these people's stories and hope that, you know, we all hope that our work has impact. But writing about yourself, and especially about such a, you know, sensitive and emotional and raw topic like, you know, surveillance and, um, and you know, whatever happened that day was the most difficult thing I've ever had to write still. And, you know, it took me a year. And, and honestly, if it, if it wasn't for, you know, the editor at NPR pushing me and, and really um, kind of forcing me to come out and be able to write about it really authentically, then I, I don't know if I could have, because it, it is a really, really hard thing for me to do is write about myself. I mean, I hate cover letters. I hate <laughs> writing bios. Like, I'm extremely uncomfortable with making myself the main character. Um, but that, you know, that forced me to do that and then some. So it was really hard, but um, extremely cathartic. I think not only for me, but for my family, um, you know, it was it was just a way to have words to describe it. How was it received? Uh, it was received, you know, overwhelmingly positive. I mean, I... I think, you know, many people would have been concerned about, you know, first of all, like, in addition to writing about this extremely horrible and sensitive, uh, you know, event in my life, you know, I was a journalist doing this. So it, it, there was this additional layer of like, why is she talking about herself? Why is she talking about her experiences? You know, can she, you know, this conversation that we're having in media now, like, can she cover these things if it happened to her, if she was a victim of this? Like, so I was, I was more afraid you know, for my career and in my credibility than I was, um, you know, about whatever re repercussions there could potentially be as far as like, you know, law enforcement or any sort of thing like that. So um, it was, it was just really extremely well received in it. And in the saddest, the bittersweet part of it is that so many people messaged me saying they've experienced similar things and that, you know, I think, I think that that's the thing I'm the most proud of is that, we all experience things and we think we're alone in them until we put it out in the world and someone else feels less alone about something I wrote. And I feel like, I mean, there's nothing better um, for a writer than to feel that. One of the things that I thought of while I was reading it was even the people who haven't necessarily had something like this happen to them, but there is certainly a large number of people who live in fear of something mm -hmm. like that happening to them. Um, and I, I'm sure it had a, a significant impact on them okay. as well. Definitely. So among the other things that you've written about in the past, and I went back and looked at your some of your NBC News work, I, I looked at kind of your whole scope of everything that you've done. You spoke to families dealing with separations by Trump's travel ban, including one whose mother was stuck in Syria and Somalia. An article on how Brad Pitt's Make It Right Foundation has built homes in New Orleans post-Katrina, but they've fallen apart. And another piece on how Hurricane Maria exposed gaps for helping people with disabilities in Puerto Rico. Those, at least from my point of view, were some of your highlights. Are there other stories you've done that you're particularly proud of? Um, at NBC News or just in general? Anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm really, really proud of... Um, I mean, the last year, the, the work I did at NBC News was great. And it was, you know, I was, I was new and I was given all this amazing opportunity and this space to explore. And people gave me, you know, the editors and, and management there gave me a chance um, 
when I had, you know, no experience and, 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 you know, I got to do amazing things that I would have not had my career at AP or, you know, been as good of a journalist if I didn't have that. But I think this past year, you know, spending time being an active participant in the community that you cover is, is in my opinion, priceless. Um, I think my ability to, you know, like that dateline on my AP stories isn't just, you know, a fun thing we put. It's to show you like, we are the source for this information. We are there on the ground when these things happen, whether it's in Columbus, whether it's in Northeast Ohio, whether it's in Cincinnati, whether it's the village of 200 people where the Oath Keepers planned their um, assault on the, you know, their alleged assault on the Capitol on January 6th. I think like there is such a value to being on the ground, to talking to people, to spending time with those people. And, you know, that's one of the really cool things about AP is that it's, you know, this kind of larger than life news organization, but everything that we do, almost nothing that we do is parachute journalism. Everything that we do is because we have people who have been living in those places and working in those spaces and and knowing that community. And I think that's, we're able to have both of those aspects. We're able to be a global news organization, but telling the story of people on the ground, wherever it is. So that's like the work I've done in the past year at AP is, is some of my, you know, proudest work. We did a lot of you know, there's this huge investigation, me and a group of my colleagues put out a few months ago about, you know, how um, there's the leaders of of major countries have been, you know, the spearheads of COVID disinformation and saying that it is a bioweapon and and kind of tracking that online activity of, of how disinformation spreads and how state um, news media is like the direct uh, catalyst for a lot of that and what the, like what the repercussions are for when folks don't take a virus seriously or think that it is a bioweapon and it's being used against them. So I think a lot of the COVID reporting, um, a lot of my reporting on, you know, accountability stuff, you know, one of the major stories that happened last year was, uh, the federal government released the names of individuals who got PPP loans. And one thing that we, you know, worked for weeks prior to that was finding out who in government, you know, who with access to these people and these things are getting that money. Um, we want to make sure like, if we're keeping keeping them accountable. And so the first name that popped up when we did the search, right when it was released, was Governor Mike DeWine's business. Is he had, He's part owner of a minor league baseball team. So that was, you know, a really cool story that showed the impact of being prepared, of, of having a team of people, you know, waiting for data to be released and quickly getting out the news. So I would say like every story that I worked on in the past year, I'm equally a, as well. Okay. I want to shift gears uh, to some of your other work uh, that you've done. And you've, you've done quite a lot. I was, I was very impressed with the number of things that you're involved in. For one, you were a fellow for Voices, which I mentioned earlier. Now you help oversee it. What is Voices and how does it work? 
Yeah. So Voices is a student program, an independent, you know, student program under the Asian American Journalists Association. So it is a summer program. It starts in May and it goes until convention, which this year is in a few weeks at the end of August. And it's we pick, you know, a group of students. It's a highly competitive program. We pick college students and early um, career journalists who are maybe in grad school or a year out after graduating. And then we pick a group of mentors. So these are professional journalists, reporters at LA Times, at the AP, New York Times, Washington Post. And and this year we, you know, opened it up to make sure we are including geographical diversity. We are including people from local NPR stations. We are including, you know, local journalists um, to have, you know, to walk the walk. And, and so, yeah, that's, that's the program and they put out a project. So they're going to, they're all working on a project. Um, there's five groups and they're going to put out a project in a few weeks. And, you know, the, the work that, you know, I did as a student there and, and these students are doing now is like beyond professional work. It's, you know, the work I did in 2019 was exclusive data showing, that, you know, interns at, at the major news organizations in the country predominantly come from Ivy League schools and, and um, highly selective schools and, and, you know, showing how that pipeline is, is, is fraught um, and how there's why we see a lack of diversity in journalists overall. So these are amazing stories and, and really talented people. And I'm really excited to now be on the other end of it, um, overseeing it. That's cool that you went from fellow to now helping oversee it. Also, the South Asian Journalists Association, uh, one of the most dynamic journalism organizations in the U.S. and Canada, serves as a network for education, inspiration, and training for South Asian journalists in America and those covering South Asia and South Asian diaspora. Uh, You aim to upgrade the coverage of South Asia and uplift the standards of journalism. You're on the board of uh, this group, what are the current priorities for the South Asian Journalists Association? We have a lot. <laughs> we have a lot of priorities. I mean, we, um, I would say in the past two, three years have, you know, really revamped um, our relationship with our members, our outreach, our events that we provide, and pretty much just, you know, reevaluating like what is our role in in this, you know, group of there's a lot of amazing minority um, journalism groups, you know, AAJA, NABJ, NAHA, and and they're much more well-established and have been around um, much longer than we do and have a lot more resources and money than we do. But we are a group of volunteers who are very actively working to make sure that when, you know, breaking news happens and it involves, you know, an attack against the South Asian group, we have a statement ready to put out to newsrooms saying this is, you know, for example, the attack on the Sikh um, members of the Sikh community at the FedEx facility in Indiana. You know, we right after that news broke and we saw the names of the victims and and their um, and the racial breakdown, we put out a statement making sure that news organizations, including the ones I work at, know how to properly, you know, talk about these individuals, talk about this community, how to talk about, you know, the the turban correctly, how to, um, you know, how to spell their language properly. So these are all things 
you know, these gaps in, in newsroom guidance that, you know, we didn't have and we're trying to fill those gaps. And so that's one thing we're, we're really trying. The other thing is um, mentorship. You know, a lot of what we hear from students um, and, you know, our younger members is that they want mentorship opportunities with other South Asian journalists. And I, as someone who really, um, you know, I gained so much from having mentors in journalism, like, I know how important it is. And, and honestly, older journalists and more seasoned and tenured journalists also want to give back. They're in a place in their lives where, you know, they've accomplished a lot and they really want to make sure that when they retire, whenever that is, there isn't, you know, the door isn't closed behind them. There's other people in the pipeline working through. Um, so yeah, those are kind of like the two big priorities you have. We have an awards ceremony coming up in October. We have a, we have a lot going on. So I asked this uh, last week of my guest, Adam Rhodes, and I'll ask it of you too, two weeks in a row that I think it's a, it's a fair question. Why do you take on leadership roles? Yeah, so I actually um, did not intentionally take on either of the leadership roles that I'm in right now. Um, so with Saja, I, I joined the board because I wanted to be more involved, but we had our vice president um, had to step down, you know, for personal reasons and and I was asked if I wanted to be the vice president and and you know there was a vote and I was um so none of that was like planned um same with AJ I was supposed to be a I was supposed to be a mentor um and then they asked me to be a co-director and then our director one of our directors stepped down and then they asked me to be a director um so both of these leadership opportunities are great, but did not, were not things I was seeking mainly because I think, you know, similarly with, you know, when people ask, like, do you want to go into editing or do you want to go into, you know, newsroom management, management roles? I do really love, you know, the work of a reporter and, and, you know, kind of doing things behind the scenes. And I'm not much of a person who wants to, I don't know. I just like, I, I, I never have thought about myself in a leadership position, but these both of these experiences have really um, put that into perspective. That that's something you know I'm I'm good at, I think, um, and I you know could pursue potentially in the future as far as um, journalism opportunities. It, it's also possible to do both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is possible to do both. Be and with that, a player coach type. Yep. And with that in mind, where do you see your career heading? That's a good question. Um, I don't know. I'm in, I feel like we are all in this like weird place where um, I think we're just kind of trying to survive month by month. Um, we're still in a pandemic. It, you know, things aren't looking too great right now after it was looking good for a while. I think I'm, I'm just, yeah, I would love to keep working on the types of stories that I've been working, you know, law enforcement, police reform, um, covering national politics, um, telling stories from local communities. So kind of following in that line and just to be able to do the work kind of wherever that that may take me. And what has the Report for America been, uh, experience been like for you? It's been great. I mean, I think Report for America is, you know, one of the solutions to this issue that we're facing right now with local news being, you know, decimated across the country. And I think they are a place that it, it has a really, um, you know, great idea of, of, you know, following along with, you know, places like ProPublica and, and, you know, other nonprofit like Texas Tribune, nonprofit news organizations of thinking about 
you know, um, how philanthropy goes into journalism and how it could, you know, uphold and maintain newsrooms and, and provide staff and, you know, funding for staff and funding for projects. So I think, I mean, I think it's, it's been a great opportunity for me. I mean, this was a way I could stay at the AP and, and move into a reporter um, role in another area. So I, I think it's an amazing, um, you know, program and I highly recommend anyone who wants to get into journalism to consider it. What advice would you give to someone who wants to do it? I would say it, it like every other opportunity is, is exactly what you make it. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's an ability to do like real journalism. Like, and I think that that's such a rare thing these days. Like so many other jobs require like, you know, sitting at a desk and writing briefs or, you know, picking up other people's news stories and aggregating. And this is just like an opportunity to get paid um, to do real journalism and make a difference. And I mean, I don't know what else I could say besides that to sell someone on it. All right. Last question. Uh, pick a journalism organization that you are not affiliated with that you would like to salute. Yeah. I, I mean, I am in constant awe of the Washington Post's policing um, coverage. Like, I mean, they're from their database to their accountability reporting. Um, I think I think there's, you know, I'm high, I'm very jealous of their coverage and um, hope to emulate it. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anyone else covering policing in America as as well as Washington Post is. All right. Um, Farnoosh, thank you for joining us. If you'd like to listen to other interviews with reporters in the Report for America program, we've talked to Morgan Mullings in Boston and Cassidy Arena in Iowa. Those are linked in the show notes. Farnoosh, thank you. Thank you. Report for America does wonderful work. It currently has 300 core members in more than 200 newsrooms. Farnoosh is one of 17 core members working with the Associated Press. RFA is currently accepting applications from newsrooms that would like to boost their coverage of undercovered issues and communities through September 30th. Report for America will open applications for prospective journalists in December. For more information, go to their website, www.reportforamerica.org. I also wanted to give a shout out to a group that I learned about recently, Mighty Writers. Mighty Writers is a nonprofit organization that offers free writing programs for kids in and around Philadelphia, as well as Camden and Atlantic City, New Jersey. They're coming soon to New York as well. During the pandemic, they've also provided groceries and lunches to families and kids in need. You can learn more about them at MightyWriters.org. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on Twitter at JournalismPod, and you can email us at JournalismSalute at gmail.com.